Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialist of America. We're an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class. A society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Renegade Paradise is a news, commentary, and educational platform based on socialist analysis from activists on the ground here in the Lowcountry. By sharing a socialist perspective and by lifting up the voices of our allies and comrades, we hope to create a space for folks in this part of the country looking to deepen their understanding of leftist politics, but who might not know exactly where to start. Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the working class left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. I'm CJ Bones, and tonight we're going to be continuing our discussion uh, about the Charleston Rebellion of 2020. So uh, activity has slowed down uh, somewhat, I think that's pretty fair to say, uh, as of June 17th. Raucous street demonstrations and attacks from the Charleston Police Department have really kind of been absent um, since the first week of June. Since then, we have seen protests take on a less confrontational uh, tone, basically. Uh, Faith leaders and community activists have held marches and vigils in places across the peninsula, such as Marion Square, Colonial Lake, Brittle Bank Park, Waterfront Park, the Battery, and in front of North Charleston City Hall. Some events around town are commemorating the legacies of those taken by white supremacist violence, such as the victims of the Emanuel AME Church shooting and the death of Walter Scott at the hands of the North Charleston police. Other community members are continuing to push for the removal of Confederate monuments around town. Uh, So this includes the um, John C. Calhoun uh, Monument in Marion Square and the Confederate Defenders uh, Monument um, on the Battery. And local dock workers have also been uh, getting involved in uh, some direct action. Uh, There's been some work stoppages uh, along with various other uh, international longshoremen and warehouse union locals. Um, So this might signal that labor uh, will be returning in some ways to its radical roots, Um, which means what this means long term is kind of anybody's guess, but still pretty exciting on a local level. Um, and members of Charleston DSA haven't been on the sidelines either. Um, another um, number of us have been involved with protests over the past few weeks in various capacities. Uh, I just had our comrade and, and former co-facilitator Bennett on our last episode talking about how to encourage effective street actions through the mar- use of marshals. Uh, this episode uh, tonight will feature uh, Cameron and Corvus two Charleston DSA members who were on the ground during some of the protests over the past few weeks. Uh, They'll share their reasons behind joining the local DSA chapter, their stories about what the mood was like marching down King Street, um, how uh, the Charleston Rebellion is similar to and different from other actions happening around the country, and really try to imagine what might happen next as this struggle continues. So I think this episode is going to be a little less tightly focused, um, A lot of topics will be covered, uh, a lot of ebbs and flows in the conversation, but hopefully it'll provide a meaningful idea of what it's like here in the Holy City during this historic moment. But before we get into all that, um, I'd like to take a moment to remember the victims of the shooting at the Emanuel AME Church. 
I'm recording the intro for this episode um, on June 15th, so just a couple of days before the uh, fifth anniversary of the shooting. It's hard to believe it's it's been so long since then, but in some ways it kind of feels like yesterday. Uh, so this episode is dedicated to uh, Clementa Pinckney, 41, the church's pastor and a South Carolina state senator. Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, 54, a Bible study member and manager for the Charleston County Public Library System, sister of former state senator Malcolm Graham. Susie Jackson, 87, a Bible study and church choir member. Ethel Lee Lance, 70, the church's sexton. DePayne Middleton Doctor, 49, a pastor who was also employed as a school administrator and admissions counselor at Southern Wesleyan University. Dawanza Sanders, 26, a Bible study member, grandnephew of victim Susie Jackson. Daniel L. Simmons, 74, a pastor who also served at Greater Zion AME Church in Awandaw. Sharonda Coleman Singleton, 45, a pastor and a speech therapist and a track coach at Goose Creek High School, mother of Major League Baseball prospect Chris Singleton, and Myra Thompson, 59, a Bible study teacher. This episode is for them. I'm CJ Bones, and this is Renegade Paradise, Black Lives Matter. So, Cam, thanks for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. And uh, so as we kick this thing off, uh, introduce yourself to the listeners and, uh, you know, tell us how you've been holding up. It's been pretty crazy out there. Um, a lot of stuff going on. We got a global pandemic and a, a once in a generation civil rights struggling uh, struggle all happening, you know, within the same few weeks. Um, yeah. How are you holding up? Oh, um, I'm doing good, man. I haven't uh, haven't checked the news in about two weeks, so mm. everything's peachy. <laughs> uh, no, um, it's been good. Uh, just trying to keep up with all the activity locally and uh, see what I can do there. Um, for everyone listening, hey, I'm Cameron. I am pretty green to the DSA. I w- was kind of went to a few meetings over the last few years, uh, starting in around 2017, but only really got serious after, uh, some serious volunteering with the local Bernie campaign and, and wanting to, uh, continue that sort of political engagement, uh, after the fact, right. Uh, in a, in a, in a meaningful way, like morally yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, from, from, a an actual progressive standpoint versus like the local democratic party, anything like that, obviously. Right. Um, so as far as DSA, pretty green, but got my card in the mail like three weeks ago and, uh, and yeah, pushing. You're a pushing hard socialist organizer now. <laughs> no turning back. It feels good. Feels good so far. Hell yeah. Um, so, um, you know, you said you kind of recommitted to the chapter uh, shortly after the Bernie campaign. 
you know, that I think that's a pretty common thread that I think a lot of chapters are, um, are experiencing a lot of folks coming on after volunteering for, uh, Bernie Sanders kind of looking for the next step, uh, basically in their, in their journey into, uh, into being, um, an organizer. Um, have you, uh, have you thought about like, you know, kind of what your role is within the chapter or, or what you're envisioning your role in the chapter basically? Um, definitely still trying to find it. I've got like a, media arts kind of background so communication in some form would probably uh be well suited to it as well as like just a general um social organizing kind of thing i would definitely like to help uh facilitate more direct action and stuff like that yeah Um, and as well as just keep up like uh communicating local information and important points through social media and uh, keeping people engaged with the right conversations uh, on a local level. Yeah. I think that's something, um, especially down here, we got to do a lot Yeah, uh, because we're not even a blip on the radar as far as uh, like local mainstream media. So we definitely got to do everything we can kind of, from our own to, to push, uh, out our messages. This podcast is part of it. Um, you know, sticker campaigns are part of it. Um, direct actions, part of it. Um, uh, marching's part of it. Protests are part of it. Movie screenings are part of it. Obviously since we're in the middle of a global pandemic that has changed a little bit, we've moved a lot of our organizing online. Um, we've moved our screenings online because what we used to do is, um, meet at the, uh, uh, at the ILA hall and do some stuff there. Um, the biggest screening that I can think of to, to date was, uh, we did a screening of I am somebody and that was a, a short documentary about, um, the, uh, MUSC strike of 69, strike led predominantly by African-American nurses had over a hundred people, I think show up um, wow. rough estimate. Yeah, it was really good. We had snacks, we had a, uh, you know, a Q and a afterwards and um, I'm looking forward to getting back to that. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of it with the uh, protest stuff, but uh, it's been really incredible to see social media's role in like, the actual news and on the ground updates about these protests and like its dominant role. Yep. Um, Seeing the proliferation of like uh, local sort of hearings and videos through stories, uh, sharing local bail funds and uh, like, uh, black business owner, uh, GoFundMe's and stuff like that. Right. Um, and just kind of really, I don't know it being the news breaking sort of thing for us locally and nationally Yeah. versus the actual news companies that just like film on the freeway, like three miles away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, we haven't seen, uh, anything like this, you know, since um, the 69 protests uh, or, or the 69 strike, rather. Um, and before then, you know, the biggest thing I can think of was the uh, Charleston riot of 1919. 
there's some information about it online. You got to do a little bit of digging, but basically, um, you know, this gang of white sailors, uh, tried to attack, tried to chase down and attack a black dude. And when they were able, when they were not able to find him, um, they just started attacking, uh, black folks on the street. Um, right. And that's really, you know, that's really Charleston, man. Like, uh, we, we've been the site of some amazing, uh, activists and movements, but also we've had our share of tragedy and, and struggles and, uh, stuff that they really don't teach you when you're, um, taking your little, uh, <laughs> your little carriage tours and stuff. It, yeah. I was telling somebody the other day, like, I can't like just the idea of a, of a carriage tour kind of irks me the wrong way, knowing like how they're glossing over this stuff yeah. in Charleston's history as like the dominant importer of slaves and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I mean, it's uh, another aspect obviously that's being brought up yeah. uh, during all the uh, local protests and uprisings. Yeah. Uh, you were, um, you were there when we were screening uh, America street, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, to get to hear from a local business owner that's been on America street for, it was whole life right yeah yeah since like um, the 70s yeah yeah and uh see it from his perspective you know america street in charleston is kind of the classic like ooh, don't don't walk around there like yeah. yeah sort of thing but obviously people have lived their whole lives and continue to live their lives and it's yeah it, the fear mongering is just kind of ridiculous when you consider you know, the realities of the people that actually live there when you yeah. see them as like people, not just some like vague, like crime zone. You know? yeah. mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, before we get too off track, let's uh, kind of dive into the issue at hand here. Um, so obviously beginning, uh, you know, end of May, uh, we saw the beginnings of the uh, Charleston rebellion. Yeah. And um, you know, that, that kicked off with a pretty dramatic series of uh, protests, um, including, yeah. you know, in some cases, some property damage, uh, some uh, some confrontations with police. Uh, things have since um, kind of slowed down a little bit. There are still vigils happening. There are still like marches happening. Nothing quite to the extent that we saw during that first weekend. Right. It it was crazy. I was there Saturday um, during the day of that protest. And um, it was really incredible to see everyone come out and take part in it. It had to be, well, I've heard 2000 people and Ah, I I would say between a thousand and 2000 people is, is a safe bet. Um, and everyone kind of marching from Marion square in the center, like looping around King street all the way down to the battery. Um, the police trying to stop us back at the top of King street, but then allowing us to like pass and go down, down the battery through the market. Um, with a lot of good, like, uh, speeches kind of peppered throughout, especially like on the, uh, steps of the slave market. Yeah. Um, which which was was good to see a Black Lives Matter banner hung oh, over. I saw the picture of it. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, bud. 
Yeah, it was a lot of energy, tons and tons and tons of people, obviously. And, uh, you know, the police played nice with us locally. And then I, I had left when it started raining around 6 p.m., but uh, there were people that stayed and they made their way uh, up to the interstate, actually, I believe, and shut down the uh, the bridge for a while. Wow. Um, and made their way back down. And I think were scattered throughout, but eventually had the uh, the property damage on King Street that night, right? And and to put this into context, um, we're talking we're talking about the Ravenel Bridge, right? Yeah, yeah, the Ravenel Bridge. Yeah, so yeah. the Ravenel Bridge for our for our listeners, it's it's one of the biggest concrete structures in the entire country, um, and cav- uh, carries about an average of ninety six thousand three hundred vehicles per day. This is a big fucking bridge. <laughs> it's not like you know, it, it's it's not you know, it, it's it's not a small side road. This is a major right. street, and right. and the protesters shut that shit down because when you need to get everyone paying attention to something this dire that has been allowed to exist for 400 years. Like you don't play you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. I think, I think, I think the protesters were successful in that way because it, it changed the conversation instantly from like, the protests being a sort of thing that other cities were doing, but you know, here in Charleston, this, this vacation town, um, you know, we don't really do that here, you know, go and eat your brunch. It's fine. You know, it, it definitely brought the reality of these national mass movements down here, uh, to the swamp. Yes. And, and there were a lot of people eating brunch that we passed by, <laughs> uh, and they, uh, you know, they, they got to see how upset we were through our, our noise we were making. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's, it, you know, incredible to see, incredible to see that many people out. Definitely. Uh, it didn't even feel real. You know, there was going to be a protest and it was shared around Instagram, uh, that Charleston would do something, but, uh, that was not the, Charleston strong, like bridge walk that we saw in 2016 with the Walter Scott shooting. It wasn't just like a photo op and, and go home kind of thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those did come later. Um, yes, of course. (laughs) You know, Charleston's not unique in that, um, you know, police propaganda, uh, it shows up in, in, in things like this in just about any part of the country you can think of. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that here in a little bit, I think. Um, so Kim, what made you specifically decide to join these protests? Um, yeah, I think it was just a, a general frustration that's been building over the last couple of years. I think for me personally, I've become a lot more aware of the systemic problems with policing in our country right um starting with uh michael brown and the kind of mid 2010s murders and uh, moving into doing more reading and sort of understanding the proactive policing model that just kind of assumes guilt and pulls people over for nothing and then tries to like 
uh, find reasons to arrest them and yeah. pairing that with the disproportionate like uh, uh, traffic stops and arrest and everything for people of color. Like it, I, I think, well, obviously collectively as a nation, it was just a boiling point to be like, <laughs> this needs to stop and we need to like, and we won't stop until something real changes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm, I'm glad that you specifically brought up uh, proactive policing. Um, so according to a 2017 report on the National Academy uh, from the National Academy of Sciences, um, you know, some evidence suggests that proactive policing procedures may reduce crime in the short term. But uh, obviously, there are a lot of uh, long term effects that um, lead to uh, communities mistrusting the police, uh, police overreach. And I think that was demonstrated perfectly here in Charleston. Um, you know, I live in a neighborhood that, uh, has a lot of police activity in it. Um, you know, they, they definitely like to show, like to show up and, and make a force of it. And while, you know, I'm hearing fewer gunshots these days, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't address the roots of, of the problem. Um, and yeah, police departments are just not equipped to solve these problems. They're, they're, they're a bandaid. They're a shitty bandaid. Um, because these are questions of, of, uh, income inequality of, of an institution that was built out of the ashes of basically slave patrols of, of the civil war. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, white, uh, white supremacist, uh, vigilante organizations like the Ku Klux Klan, um, you know, during the reconstruction phase, you can, you can spread this tough on crime message all you want, but, um, if you're not addressing the, the material concerns of the people, like you're doing more harm than good. And I think that's really what, um, DSA and, and what the left is really, kind of navigating around and, and really uh, pushing out there. Uh, you know, we're following the lead of, you know, our, our African-American comrades, or at least ideally we should, I can't speak for everybody. Yeah. We're, we're uh, definitely trying to be as responsible and as attentive as we can to their needs because they are the most vulnerable in the system of like oppression that we're currently in. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, with like, to speak to like over-policing specifically, like someone who's on the borderline of poverty or like general instability is not going to be made safer or, uh, lifted out of that by constant harassment and, right. uh, court dates and jail time and, uh, so many things yeah yeah like when when you're already so vulnerable yeah um and uh and the fact that we kind of have finally not finally but it's become a national thing that we're framing it as a systemic issue that we need to address and that we need to address now and that we're putting pressure uh on lawmakers locally and nationally to to face is uh is really cool to be a part of it is cool um how effective those um you know those measures and that pressure uh are going to be i mean i think we kind of have yet to see um but 
definitely uh, what's been happening over the past couple of weeks is, is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this was just the, uh, the boiling point, right. Where people right. just kind of like reacted all together spontaneously. But, um, I think we're definitely going to be entering that sort of planning and, uh, enacting on specific things right. phase, uh, in the coming weeks, right. Because it's not, obviously it's not nothing about our current situation with the pandemic and looming recession, uh, is, is going to get much better when a second wave hits, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I should, I should mention that, um, you know, the, um, incubation period for COVID-19, uh, is about like what, two or three weeks. Um, mm -hmm. so anytime you hear any sort of news, uh, news article saying, you know, yeah, since these protests, everybody's getting sick again. No, what actually happened is when we all decided to open up the beaches for Memorial day, that's yeah. when it started popping off, but, uh, yeah, different episode. <laughs> right. Amazing how many times I've had to say different episode lately. <laughs> There's a lot to cover. There's, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, the, Honestly, I haven't really kept up with the media narrative uh, spin that much. Yeah. Um, just sort of been seeing the direct feeds from different uh, areas across the country. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, they'll try and diminish it, but it's impossible to diminish at this point, right? Like nationwide, every state protests, like every town in a sense. Um, the only the only thing they're trying to do now is 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 sort of uh, swap the uh, defund for reform. Yeah, which is of course not what it's about. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's put a pin in that because um, yeah. I want to talk about that. But um, you know, getting back to one of your points about uh, kind of the the media reaction, um, I've also trying to be respon. I'm, I'm also trying to be responsible for my media intake, but. Um, like it's just not part of my personality. So um, one thing that I have noticed is uh, lo local news outlets like Live 5 News, instead of taking like a deep dive into th the, the many, many cases of police brutality and, and racism um, that happen here in, in the low country, um, what they've done is actually have done like, you know, uh, reports like um, I've got a article pulled up on their website, 911 calls during downtown riot reveal anger and fear. And then they have like a video, um, on there. I hope it doesn't autoplay. Please don't do that. Okay. It's not going to do that. Um, but yeah, instead of like tackling the, the reasons behind this, this legitimate uprising, mm -hmm. they want to like every other you know, centrist news organization in the country, they want to like shit their pants about a couple of broken windows and a couple of spray painted buildings. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they're good at, right? <laughs> just sort of reporting on a, a broken window for like an hour. Yeah. Um, on the hour, uh, every hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the updates at 11. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I mean, luckily we pushed past that in Charleston as far as protest goes. Like they, 
saw what happened Saturday night and uh, reacted, uh, obviously, kind of insanely to the protest on Sunday, uh, tear gassing people and arresting people. Yeah. Trying to shut uh, it down. Tactic, which is against the uh, Geneva Convention, by the way. Right, right. Yeah. Look it well, up. When was the last time America's followed that? I don't know. That's true. Ah, oh, damn. I, I appeal <laughs> to our better nature again. I need to. It's a, yeah. Yeah. It, trust me. We, we're not, you know, I don't know if Donald Trump could pronounce Geneva, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the protest kept pushing. The, the Black Lives Matter, Matter organizers that, uh, were kind of forming around the moment locally, uh, push for peace. And we had that very viral clip of uh, a protester that was like peacefully um, saying he loved the police as they like singled him out and arrested him. Right. Um, that, <laughs> that I think made the Charleston PD have to, have to step back a, a bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, protests continued after that weekend at the end of May uh, for at least two weeks every day. They were marching around downtown um, miles like up and down the peninsula. Uh, and whenever they stopped, would uh, sort of have a group discussion where anyone could jump in and prioritizing like black women and black men um, to share their stories and sort of reflect on the moment and, and try and uh, learn together, which was, was really incredible to see. That's awesome. Um, yeah. um, one more thing, one more interesting tidbit I do want to share about that article I was just talking about. So uh, the owner of the uh, a restaurant downtown, um, Oku, started talking about how there were gunshots happening uh, downtown. Um, yeah. kind of implying based on this quote that maybe it was somebody from the uh, protest that was, you know, popping off rounds. Right. It turns out that that was actually somebody, uh, an employee of um, Hall's Chop House, which is right up the street, not too far. Guarantee you can hear gunshots uh, from Oku uh, to um, Hall's Chop House. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It's it's not even up the street. It's It's literally on the same block. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it, I saw the video shared online um, of him like firing warning shots in the air out of yeah. the front door, which is yeah. absolutely insane. After they like threw a trash can at protesters and the protesters like threw the trash can back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the idea that that violence was being incited by uh, you know, the protesters is is ironic for yeah. sure. Yeah. It and, definitely doesn't help like having some, some rando with a, um, a Chuck Norris complex randomly <laughs> firing shots into the air um, while riot police close in, you know, like, like you want to cause violence in an organ, in a situation like that. That's how you do it. Like come prepared for, vi for violence. And that's when violence will happen. Right. It's a self-fulfilling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the as anyone could see over the last couple of weeks, like the escalation is definitely coming from the police as far yeah. as uh, um, 
you know, violence is concerned. Like the only time where I don't even know if people threw things on Sunday, but uh, the only time there was really like yelling and arguments between protesters and police is when they were tear gassing and rubber bulleting and like closing in with riot shields. Yeah. Um, for, you know, for, uh, demonstrating and not, not, uh, not following a lawful order, like an hour before the curfew that was selectively enforced yeah. on just the protesters. Exactly. Like you're, if you're trying to communicate something with 2000 people, you gotta, you gotta plan for it more than an hour. And, and it's almost like, you know, it was done like that on purpose just to basically give them the legal authority to chase people out of town and to violate sure. those first amendment rights. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it didn't hold long in Charleston, thankfully North Charleston though. They of course, um, tried to like roll in their military vehicles they acquired and stuff. And yeah. And, uh, yeah, for some reason that makes people mad when you bring a military tank and riot gear to a peaceful protest. Yeah. Yeah, strange. Yeah. Guarantee that anybody showing up with a tank uh, and and you know rubber bullets and uh, you know tear gas, they're going to be doing more damage than somebody randomly throwing a brick through a window. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's funny, but I mean that's America is getting a front row view of that over the last week. Yeah. We're, we're Especially. doing the same things that we accuse like all these other uh, countries are doing. We're, we're doing the same things that we accuse like Venezuela of doing. And, yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. If, if we can, you know, pretend or our government pretends to care about Hong Kong's protest and how mean their uh, dictator is, but you know, then we roll up in a tank and do the exact same thing. And yeah, and uh yeah it's yeah. just incredible i would love to have an episode um in the future about uh like hong kong and and china um yeah but i would have to do so much more homework <laughs> yeah right uh, <laughs> um, just donald trump tear gassing protesters for a photo op uh <laughs> and it, it completely backfiring yeah as far as like the image he tried to put on um, yeah, I know, like, like, that's insane. so uh, you can, it's not hard to read somebody's body language, right? Like, I think that's something that is kind of hardwired into people like Donald Trump walking across the street to what was that? Like St. John's cathedral, right? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Like with this, with, with a Bible, he like kind of held it up. Like, look, this is what a Bible looks like. I have never opened this. I have never read a book. Like, <laughs> right. You, you just can plainly see it in the video. Like he doesn't know anything about this thing that he's holding. Yeah. Um, and he held and, it like the photo of a Bible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> holding it up upside down and, and like with the, with the uh, spine all messed up and stuff. <sighs> right. Yeah. Me meanwhile, tear gassing the priest that like <laughs> uh, preaches at the church. Yeah. And, completely uh, ignoring the the christ that uh flipped tables over um in yeah. the uh in in the temple by the way that doesn't sound like a, a quote peaceful protest unquote does it he hasn't read that far yeah i'm sure 
Oh, to be fair, it wasn't his Bible. It was a Bible. And, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe he needs to get a copy. Maybe he does. I don't know. I I hear there are a lot of Bibles, right? <laughs> I maybe. I don't know. Who's to say? I don't own a Bible, so I'm going to stay in my lane. <laughs> Um, so let's, let's kind of get back to the topic at hand. That was a uh, long and winding road we just went on. <laughs> um, Absolutely. so, so talk a little bit about the folks that were uh, speaking during the protests. Um, you know, what kind of activities were there? What kind of speakers were there and, and kind of what did the crowd look like? Um, it was different by the day. It was definitely majority white, uh, to begin with and stayed pretty much majority white. Uh, a lot of younger people, uh, as far as the crowd goes, um, yeah. a lot of younger women, but also like up to uh, kind of mid 20s to late 20s. And then older people, 30s and 40s and 50s as well. Um, when it when it comes to like the crowd that sort of stayed out every day. Right. Um, but uh, the organizers were mostly like young, uh, young black men and women who came out to speak. There were some uh, some black teachers in the local schools that came to have a few words. Mm-hmm. Um, some business owners, a local uh, North Charleston politician. Um, yeah, I think that was Marvin Pendarvis uh, who spoke. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He spoke on Saturday and, um, I know another day a black law firm came out that was helping represent, uh, protesters who were arrested. Uh, and black black owned, uh, law firm. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, even on, I think Wednesday, uh, we marched up to uh, Hampton Park and an older woman in probably her 60s came out and talked to us about uh, her experiences in Charleston protesting and uh, just what she would recommend we do and fight for. Uh, Yes, yes. Okay. And... uh, her takeaway was, you know, if we keep it nonviolent, we'll always, uh, they, they won't have a choice, but to, uh, hear us speak, you know, yeah. which is, uh, kind of the sentiment I think that the, that the organizers had and that, um, most of the crowd had, right. But I mean, it's to be expected, I guess. Um, considering we're we're up against a lot of conservative sort of mindsets, so right. I don't expect there to be a, a King Street autonomous zone anytime <laughs> yeah. in the future. It would be I awesome mean, if there was, but I just don't see that happening. Right. Um, um, it's, it's an autonomous zone if you work at Hall's Chop House. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, not necessarily for everybody. Yeah. It's interesting, though, that there's all this sort of refrain about like, hey, hey, let's keep it peaceful. Let's keep it peaceful. But I think it's been kind of coming to a head in a lot of cities and in some cases, um, uh, Charleston as well, that like your peaceful, like your peacefulness. And I'm using air quotes there um, for our listeners 
it won't always save you. Like it really is up to the discretion of the police who definitely don't have your best interest in mind. Yeah. Their interest is to diffuse the protest as soon and as much as possible and protect property. Yeah. Obviously. Right. Yeah. That's um, what we need to keep in mind, like they're not there to protect you. They're not there to keep the people safe. Uh, they're there to protect property. Um, they're right. there to protect uh, the, 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 the Yeti store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, right. That's kind of where it, it, it sort of syncopated and, and lost momentum in Charleston a little bit is when there was a conflict between people that uh, wanted to work with the police and march with the police and people that didn't for obvious reasons to be more in line with the national sort of black lives matter movement. Right. Um, yeah. so I think that that kind of led to a slowing down, uh, over, uh, the last, last week, first week of June. And, yeah. and now it's sort of in a, in a regrouping phase, but people are still like, people still want to, um, get out there and protest. The energy is, is, is there. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of quiet right now. Cause, um, well, it's, it's a lot to, um, it, it's a lot to work your head to, to work your brain around, you know, right. Not like these protests are out without risk. Um, That's true. And yeah. when, the, when the police have successfully like split, uh, the working class amongst like who is peaceful and who's not peaceful. And when the local media is like putting out these propaganda pieces about like, you know, scared business owners, um, yeah, it, it's there. There's definitely like a full blown um, propaganda push happening right now here in Charleston, and I right. imagine in a lot of other countries around, or in a, a lot of other cities around the country. Yeah, it's it's it, it's an effort to sort of uh, diffuse the meaning of it too, right? To right. like kind of just downplay it uh, in in different ways. So I think. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not involved with like the the planning of the local organizers specifically. There are just people doing various things throughout the city, even right now. But um, I imagine finding specific issues that they can gather around and and uh, demand action on is is uh, is what's needed to kind of clear up the narrative and and keep pushing. Right. Um, so did you notice any sort of similarities with other protests in other part of the country or any differences? Um, I think we touched on this a little bit, how there's kind of this concentrated effort, um, coming from police departments to do these sort of fake photo op, like kneeling with the protesters only to gas them like the next day, basically, or, or in that one situation, like literally knock people to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we haven't really had police confrontation other than that Sunday after the, uh, uh, Saturday of like broken windows and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they were definitely out in force. Like there was a, there is a contingent from our group, uh, you know, a, a small, um, you know, a small group of like half a dozen protesters on the, on the sidewalk, um, that got surrounded by, you know, 20 riot cops, like fully decked out. So, uh, 
they were scared. <laughs> they were right. scared of a, of a handful of, of young people with signs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, um, so of course uh, we, we've had similarities in that sense, but, um, um, yeah, it's, it's been, they've allowed it to be peaceful relatively. There hasn't been a lot of civil disobedience beyond those first two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so there hasn't been a lot of like things for the police to push back on, but, right. uh, it's, uh, it's stayed relatively calm throughout the protest for the rest of the week. Right. Um, just a lot of focus on communicating, kind of letting people get their voice out and just making it very clear that this isn't like a one-off thing that people are just showing up for like a protest to get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right. Like I, I love the, um, the stark contrast between the two movement. One side literally like is demanding answers for, um, 400 years of like inequality and slavery and racism and the other side just can't get their shit together because they want to go eat at a fucking Applebee's. (laughs) That that tells you how like morally bankrupt our enemies are, I think. And yeah. And, uh, out of ideas of, uh, um, specifics to be mad about. Yeah. I mean, I, I sympathize with the lack of any sort of effort for a recovery plan from like our local and like federal leadership. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, bringing your gun to the state house and yelling at a police officer and going home. Uh, yeah. Is just sort of you wanting. Uh, a reason to dress up, which, Hey, I get it. We've all been inside for a while. Yeah. It's, um, you know, there, there's definitely something to be said about feeling like frustrated and, and helpless, but, uh, you know, this is like a frustration where they can't bring their AR 17 to the Chipotle to make a point. So they have to (laughs) bring it to the state house. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's a question of, you know, instead of like demanding to go back to work and demanding that, uh, oh, hey, Corvus is here. I'm going to go ahead and admit them. Hey, what's up, Corvus? I am so sorry. For some reason, I thought it was at eight. Everything has just been it's off for me. Buddy. It's no worries. So far, we've talked about like Saturday, Sunday, what the protests locally have been like. And then we were at the point where we were discussing, like, comparing and contrasting them with the national protest to an extent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's that's about the subject we're on right now. Yeah. But before we get into that, um, please introduce yourself uh, to our listeners. Uh, talk a little bit about how um, how you're holding up. Okay, I'm Corvus. Um... I live in Goose Creek. I'm not from the area, but I moved here about six years ago. Pretty much been doing the political thing on my own and griping with friends about how the hell are we going to fix things. And 
um, was actually, yeah, <laughs> was actually on Twitch, uh, talking with some people, uh, touring news is one that I follow and he was talking about his DSA up in Philadelphia and what all they're doing. And I was like, well, I don't even know if we have one of those here. So I, I did some looking and found you guys and have been just reading up from there. And the rest is history. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. Um, so do you, where do you foresee kind of your role in the chapter being since, since uh, you know, Cam and I kind of were talking about this earlier, like, because um, he's kind of just recently got back into the chapter and is kind of figuring out what, what his role is. Where do you foresee your role in the chapter being? I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people where you can fit me in wherever you need help. Um, I work really well doing research, um, investigating, um, looking things up, contrasting ideas, like how does this, this place over here do things? How have they, you know, worked to an advantage? Like an example, uh, up in Jersey, they've already defunded the police up there. Yeah. How is that working? You know, how are they um, communicating and whatnot? You know, that was in Camden, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I have a lot of friends all over, not just, you know, the country, but all over the place from uh, I've been knitting and crocheting for 14 years. And, you know, it's it's not just knitting and stuff you you talk about your life and your politics and your country and you yeah. know so I, I can find out a lot of different things about how things work in other countries and other cities and i just i enjoy researching anyway um i always wanted to be a librarian so it, it kind of fills that fills that niche cool um you you were talking about um, Twitch earlier, and then like you know, and and also crocheting with like people from kind of all over the place. Um, are there like crocheting communities on Twitch where like everybody kind of gets into a room like this and kind of works and chit chats at the same time? Uh, I do a little oh, bit yeah. of Twitch streaming, but I'm not really. It's not really something I spend a lot of time on. So I'm kind of like. Yeah, there are maker channels for. Um, crocheting and knitting and spinning even. Cool. There's also, there used to be an entire politics tab on Twitch. It was uh -huh. just politics. Mm -hmm. They've done away with that, but they're talking about bringing it back. But there's a whole leftosphere on Twitch from, you know, your moderately leftists all the way up to ancons and ancaps and ah. just all kinds of stuff yeah cool well um that that's very interesting um well definitely i would love to do an episode on like leftist spheres on popular uh social media platforms um mm -hmm. This is probably like the fourth or fifth idea I think we've come up with on on future episodes as we've been talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it's crazy to see how that's grown. Even the last like five years, uh, just exploded uh, as far as local representation goes. Yeah. Have you guys listened to uh, Trilby's Workers uh, Trilby Workers Party? 
Oh, I love, I, I love the True Billy Workers Party. Oh, yes. they're great. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's, it's for some good. reason, um, I don't know. I just, I really feel like not quite so isolated down here uh, when I listen to uh, the True Billies. They're in the middle of, uh, you know, Eastern Kentucky, I think, right? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and they're just doing what they can with, with where they're at. And here we are in the heart of the Confederacy trying to do the best with what we got. So it definitely makes me feel like um, activism kind of looks different depending on where you are. Um, you know, oh, Charleston's sure. not exactly like a hub of, of leftist re- revolutionary activity, but uh, don't count us out either, um, especially not after the past couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, right. And building that solidarity to then act on um, and having those feed each other is, is huge. Right. Um, which has been cool to see. Um, so we're going to talk about, um, you know, the protests that are happening in like smaller towns um, outside of the usual places like, you know, New York, D.C., uh, San Francisco, L.A. These sort of mass street protests and, and direct actions haven't really been happening like since the sixties, as far as I can remember, you know, it, I, I grew up in a, in a small town, um, on the East coast, definitely a city not known for its progressive values, uh, not a hub of, of activist activity, but they still had like a hundred people turn out for their demonstration. And I thought That's I awesome. would never see that. Um, so what, Talk to me about why y'all think that might be happening right now. And, and how is this different from um, mass movements in the past, like, you know, 10, 15 years? Well, one of the places that I spend most of my time growing up is a little small town. There's about 500 people total in the entirety of the county. Um, they, they're about 30 minutes one way or another from where Ahmad Aubrey was uh, shot and murdered on the street right and they've had they literally had a Ku Klux Klan march down Main Street not too terribly long ago oh Jesus and the the young people there have had enough you know my my daughter's cousin she you know she's one of maybe to be a liberal 10 black families in the county. Mm. And when I grew up there, God, 20 years ago, there were no black people allowed, quote unquote, in town. And, you know, a lot of the young people have had enough, you know, seeing their cousins harassed, bullied, drug out of town. And, you know, this next generation's just been brought up with better morals, basically. They've definitely reached a breaking point, right? Like with the gun violence in schools, school shootings, um, imminent climate change disaster, yeah. and now a second recession in the next, within a 10 year span, like uh, is, they're they're fed up for absolutely i i've i've talked to a few of the kind of younger college age and even like younger than that um high school seeming people at the protest and they're just like 
they're all in for making noise and not uh, backing down. Is it either 19 or 20 year olds and younger have never known a life without war? (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Like uh, they're not entering an age of prosperity uh, as far as like job opportunities and possible good paying like income distribution goes and all that. Yeah. Um, You got folks that are, you got, uh, you know, these, these Gen Z kids, uh, y'all are exactly right. They literally have not been alive in a year where we were not under some sort of, uh, where we were not under some sort of uh, unending sustainable forever war. When you combine that with, with these, um, you know, ever increasing disparities between, uh, uh, income inequality, um, you know, the rise of fascism, kids are smart. Um, kids are, yeah. uh, kids know what's up and, um, kids are talking to each other. They're not, they don't live in a vacuum and I can only speak for myself here. Um, they, they don't live, uh, as isolated as folks my age did, you know, back in the day. Um, it's a lot easier to coordinate now, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier to more safely coordinate without worrying about, oh, my parents might find out and right. something might happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm uh, in my early to mid twenties and uh, it was, I, it was very funny. I had my DSA card sent to my parents' house and they, she just like, my mom did not know what it was. She was like, you got a letter in the mail with like a flower. Um, and I was like, cool. Thanks. I'll, uh, I love that. I'll grab that. I mean, um, but yeah, they're, they're upset. They're organized. They're not, uh, they're not relying on the New York times or lo- local news to tell them what's going on in the world. Uh, and you know, another, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're good. No, that's it. They're just ready to take action as we are. Of course. Another thing is getting back to the protests and why it's, it's been like this since the start of the police force in this country, you know, the the prisons are a nightmare. My brother has been in and out of jail since he was 18 and he's seen friends that he went to high school with die in their cells while the guards just look and laugh you know he's on heart medication and he had his uh at the time wife bring his heart medication with a statement from his doctor up to the jail so that you know he could have it and he went three days in jail without his heart medication because they don't care you know oh you're in jail you're a criminal you don't matter regardless of what you're in there for or whatever he you know it was a very trivial thing that he went to jail for it was like a disorderly and he was mm. only supposed to be in there overnight but it was a holiday so you know uh, yeah that is something worth dying over apparently sure. and and he's just some white kid you know not to trivialize that but right it could have been a lot worse yeah yeah that level of privilege yeah i mean the structure of it is like 
dehumanizes people, right? And when you have no experience in the black community and don't like, and already are so removed from like the people you're policing, like, you know, it's even worse uh, when you're under that. And you're taught as guards to not look at them as human. You're taught this is a job. You just, you don't talk to them. You don't look at them. You don't try to make friends with them. You just, you know, go on. Because I have had friends, you know, living in a small town, you talk with the police, you get to know them so that when you're smoking weed on your back porch, they just let you go. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you get to talking with these guys and you start hearing their stories. You hear about how they throw a flashlight at somebody because he's don't even know why he's running away, but you throw a flashlight at him and it hits him on the back of the head. No, oh, how funny that was. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, for your friends because you think it's a barrel of laughs type shit. Right. And you're, I, I've read things about like the policing of just like, you know, pulling over tons of people to just justify your job. <laughs> like, oh, try, yeah. The, the list find something. Of. The lists of uh, license plate numbers, you know, for a slow night, you just pull out the list and read them off. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of to that point, there is, there was an episode of the uh, Behind the Bastards podcast uh, from uh, Robert Evans, uh, where he talks about um, kind of the philosophy around like just the, the super harsh uh, methods that police officers use in their day to day. The the dude behind it, uh, his name is uh, David Grossman, and the book specifically, I think, is on combat. Um, from and he's got this organization called the Killology Research Group. Which number one, holy fuck, I don't want my government anywhere near a group called Killology. That's some no that's Cobra Commander shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not very subtle. We the way just things are the, the the education that goes out in these uh, police departments is they literally see like their fellow citizens as like enemy combatants that need to be dealt with by lethal force. Um, and um, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that it probably goes into the, into the prison system as well. Oh, for sure. Right. And, you know, it's, this is just one facet of it. You know, I'm talking about this with friends. They're like, yeah, this, is, this isn't just the police force. And it's not just the American police force either, for sure. You know, it's, it's doctors. It's the entire medical system where you go in because you're having chest pains and they're like, oh, well, what drugs are you on? Oh, well, it's probably just a panic attack. You'll be fine. You go home and have a heart attack. Yeah, this sort of... Um anti-black bias really seeks uh, seeps rather into really every facet of daily life and a part of that i think corvus you were talking about is just how doctors treat patients um you know there's a disparity in, in how treatments in hospitals go because they literally like some doctors literally think that <laughs> african americans just don't feel pain and you know it contributes to these dramatically worse health outcomes, not to mention the fact that there's a huge uh, racial and economic disparity in who gets 
treatment, who can afford to go to the hospital, who can afford to see the doctors. Right. So just every level of capitalism comes with these barriers um, that, you know, that people of color just have to jump through hurdles uh, just to get past, just to live like, just to live. And we've seen that play out with the like overwhelming uh, amount of COVID deaths being from black Americans versus white Americans. Yeah. Um, in just the last couple months, obviously. Um, in addition to the continued uh, disparity we see with like all diseases, basically. Yeah. For, for every systemic like uh, economic issue that we fight for in the DSA, like uh, you can see how it overwhelmingly affects the black population since they've been um, kept from resources and oppressed from the beginning of the country before the beginning of the country, obviously. Interesting um, note, um, you know, since we since uh, old McMaster just decided to throw open the gates again um, and force uh, the state to reopen, we have seen a surge in new COVID-19 cases um, in this tracks right within, you know, the window of how long it takes uh, for the, uh, you know, the virus to, uh, to incubate basically. Um, so we've on June 8th, we had a record number of 514 more cases um, in, in South Carolina. And, you know, those definitely kind of follow those, those racial lines, just like about everything else does. So, yeah, Yeah. these problems are all connected and that's why people are out in the streets right now. This is why, you know, there's so much anger, um, and it's justified anger, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I pulled up an NPR article that mentions, and this was on, May 30th, that um, uh, race or ethnicity, uh, people, non-white Americans are known for about half of all cases and 90% of the deaths um, in America as of the end of May. Wow. Yeah. Um, Corvus, I want to uh, switch the conversation over to you a little bit. Um, you were out um, at the protests. Maybe, maybe kind of build on that and talk about uh, the time you spent out there and, and maybe give us an idea of what the mood was like on the ground. Well, I, I went out the first day we had protests here in Charleston with my eldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to the park. Everyone was peaceful. You know, people were making signs. I brought some water and snack, snacks and things just what I could bring that I knew was, you know, sealed up safe. And, uh, we, we did a march around King street and everyone was good. There were a couple of people right outside of, um, a couple of businesses, one of which I later learned was halls, uh, that were talking crap. You know, one guy is like, Oh yeah, you, you guys say a cab, but you're being led around like a bunch of sheep by the police. Oh, so you're saying that like like folks from halls were just sitting there harassing protesters from the start of the march. Yeah, this this guy was he was coming out like he had takeout, so he was just a patroner. Oh, and his okay. girlfriend, bless her, I hope she's not anymore. <laughs> um 
she's like, no, no, trying to pull him back and tell him to hush and be respectful. And he was just heckling and, you know, uh, it's, you know, there were a couple of hecklers, but dump there him, were girl, dump him. Right. <laughs> there were a lot of people that were out, you know, holding a fist up, chanting black lives matter. There was, uh, there was one store that I really wanted to go to, you know, hopefully I'll be able to go to when everything, you know, with the virus and everything sorts out. Uh, she had a really pretty shop and she was out her fist up and, you know, nodding at everyone that went past and, yeah. you know, everyone that came out to stand on the stoops of their buildings, no, nobody had a bad word. You know, yeah, there were a lot of people that would come out and find out what the march was, and they'd be like, Well, we want to do this too, you know, just tourists and stuff. But okay, I didn't see a lot of frowning business owners come out, but I did, did business owners come out. It was usually people of color that owned businesses that would right. come out and be supportive, yeah. There were a lot of very confused old white ladies. It was very, <laughs> but I mean, overall, it was it. Everyone was happy, you know. Everyone was even trying to socially distance, wear masks, make sure. Hey, do you have a mask? You know, people brought bags of masks out. Oh wow! Yeah, and, yeah, because you know that talking point is going to come from from you know the right wing media is that, you know, they're spreading coronavirus, but like, it sounds like protesters were basically taking as many precautions as they could, you know, given this historic moment, like you can't control how these moments come about or like how these mass movements work. The only thing you can do, I think it's fair to say is just be prepared and and react accordingly. Is that kind of what you were seeing? What, what, what both y'all were seeing on the ground? I mean, yeah, I, I saw that with everybody, even, you know, I've never been before and um, that there were a lot of homeless people that said that they lived there and, you know, people were like, Oh man, you want, you need some food or something. You need something to drink. We were all, you know, making sure they had everything they needed. And when I went home, I went home at about three 30 because my daughter had an asthma attack. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad, and, I'm glad that she was okay, by the way. Like that was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's good. She just, she wanted to be there. She, she didn't want to stay home. You know, my, my youngest stayed home because she's five. And yeah. yeah. Having the particular political leanings I have and having had the friends that I had, I didn't trust the cops, especially. And, you know, right. everything seems so peaceful here in Charleston. However, I personally, I, I had the opportunity to leave my youngest at home. So I did. Not everybody has that opportunity. Yeah. And most of us, we think it's a peaceful protest. Why can't I bring my kids? This is history. It shouldn't be, oh, what a horrible parent for bringing your ch- children to a yeah, peaceful sure. protest. The only yeah, people because if we, yeah, not peaceful. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No protesters are attacking kids. Yeah, I'm all up in my feels. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, please continue, Corvus. Oh no, it's the same thing. I'm I'm good. You can go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I guess the one thing that I that has been kind of going over in my head because I've seen comments like this, like, "Why would you bring your protest?" Or, I'm sorry, "Why would you bring your kids to a protest?" And it's like, well, ideally, if we lived in a free country, we'd be able to peacefully protest and and not be harassed mm-hmm. by law enforcement, and it would be a family friendly event. But the second y'all turn your 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 uh, batons and and your stun grenades and your tear gas and your rubber bullets on us, that's when it becomes a problem. I mean, would I love for my five-year-old to go out and be supportive of her friends? And, you know, because she knows what's going on. It's hard to not see it when, you know, her friend's dad is afraid to even go to the protest and support because he's already, you know, been to jail once for some stupid crap. He doesn't want to be tear gassed again. He doesn't want to leave his kids without a daddy. Right. You know, my friend, and granted this was in Seattle, she was up near the Eastern Precinct. They were, they were told it was going to be a peaceful protest. She went out there with cases of bubbles and sidewalk chalk for children, three, four, five. And they cheer fast these children. Whoa. Yeah. You know, she had it on video. She was going back to her car after the tear gassing. And they shot a flashbang. And it was less than a foot from her face. And she wasn't even doing anything but delivering water and bubbles and chalk. It's absolutely insane. And I'm glad that we're able to document this stuff because, you know, can only imagine what it was like before our modern age uh, trying to protest and uh have any hope of holding like the people that are supposed to keep the peace uh, responsible for, for their actions. I really feel like that's the thing. That's the ticket that can make this time be the time that sticks because we have the ability every single to document it, to take it before these judges that are just letting, letting the cops slide and, you know, the coroners that are making basically, I mean, not to sugarcoat it, falsified reports. Mm-hmm. Like with Bierana Taylor. Yes. Showing no, uh, no injuries when she was shot eight mm-hmm. times. Well, the, the same with uh, Mr. Floyd up in, you know, the, the coroner there saying, oh, no, he had pre-existing conditions and that's what he died yeah. from. Right. And they got the the family got the independent one. You know, we have the ability now with social media, with these magical little computers we hold in our hands and talk on, yeah. to prove to the world this is what's going on here. This is what's going on in your country. Mm-hmm. This is unacceptable, and it will stop now. And to prove to the suburbanites that uh, just. Uh, claim ignorance and uh, uh you know live a live a good life in their white suburb because it's under policed and they've never actually had to uh, deal with um the sort of brute force intimidation tactics of uh being accused of something you know Yeah, I think the last time I checked, there were 62 people um, arrested so far here in uh, in Charleston um, in response uh, in connection with the protests. 
Um, the reasons they were arrested were, uh, you know, a couple of different things, violating curfew, um, which, you know, when they announced the curfew, like an hour or less beforehand, that's pretty easy to get people wrapped up in that, um, congregating and failing to disperse in an emergency and disobeying a lawful order. And this is the really interesting part. So, um, uh, Charleston police chief Luther rentals is, uh, rentals, Luther Reynolds is, uh, uh, quoted as saying, um, well, the, I'm reading from uh, live5news.com, um, and I'm going to quote the article here. He asked, he said that they asked crowds to disperse, especially since they were violating the governor's order against large gatherings during the pandemic, but that many refused, which is interesting because the the way things are selectively enforced is is, is really telling. Um, you know, you, you have these sort of large gatherings happening all the time under the name of like generating commerce and, and, and buying things and capitalism. But when it's people like organizing to address 400 years of, of racial injustice, suddenly that's when the riot police show up. Weird, huh? The article says social distancing, the governor's order, the state of emergency, his orders of not having three or more people gathered that all factored into our decision-making process. Um, someone doing yoga in a park and social distancing and how that is affected versus a riot in our city where we had a lot of damage, where we had people injured and we had people trying to burn the city down. So that was just published uncritically, um, in local media. And, um, and, and that's really what we are seeing coming from, you know, the, the, the mainstream media these days. Um, but it sounds like, yeah, Y'all are y'all had y'all were actually there, and y'all have extremely different stories. And and what we're seeing, I think, is the protests don't turn dangerous, and they don't turn violent until the cops start showing up and and attacking people for violating this. And and this was quoted in the article for for violating this like last minute order uh, to disperse when all they were trying to do is is exercise their First Amendment rights. So. It's interesting how these things work out, right? It's yeah. To be fair, they did immediately go to uh, the park cafe and shoot tear gas at the uh, people eating dinner. So, (laughs) oh, good. Well, I I take I I take back everything I said. (laughs) Yeah, just gotta be fair. Uh, We're we're fair. There are people. Charleston DSA. There are people that live in that park. There are houseless people that live there. And they got tear gassed. And they were just minding their own damn business. Right. They were, you know, supportive of the peaceful protests and everything. But the the man that, I forget what his name is now. The one that got arrested when he was getting on his motorcycle. The night before, right. he found three white kids beating up a homeless man next to the lighting store and called an ambulance for this guy. And all he was doing was documenting yeah. what was going on. Mm. Um, Corvus, you kind of, uh, on my end, you kind of like, um, I, I was having a hard time hearing you. Can you repeat the first part of what you just said? Because I think it's really important that we get this out there. Um, one of the gentlemen who was just documenting the protests and the aftermath, um, he was just documenting, he was walking around the street with his camera telling everybody what's going on. And I cannot for the life of me remember his name, 
Okay. It's probably uh, best not to repeat it anyway. Cause like, I don't know this person and I don't, I don't want to put them at risk. Um, you know, the, the almost pretty much what, what I was trying to say was that, um, the homeless people are out here getting beat up by, and this particular incident was just three white teenage kids and their skateboards. Oh, Jesus. And fortunately, somebody found these kids beating up this homeless man and called an ambulance and got them away from him. But I mean, with the cops being indiscriminate out here, you know... I, I worry about them basically is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, you know, what can we do to help not only with the, the protesting and everything and the law changing and the defunding, but the displaced people. Right. Yeah. Cause I, they're, I, they're getting hit the hardest, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the only way the city did anything, to alleviate, you know, and help the people that lived in Tent City under I-26 was because it was an eyesore for the tourists. Right. Let's, so we had touched a little bit, we had touched on, um, like, the mass media silence on, on uh, continued protests, especially here in, in the, uh, in, in Charleston, um, even to the point where, like, they're, they're sharing these sort of horror stories about uh, business owners, like, frantically calling 911. Um, so there's definitely, like, a concentrated, if, if they're not ignoring continued protests, they're, like, putting out propaganda to the contrary like purposefully um but they're still going on um for example the uh capitol hill autonomous zone in seattle is starting to become a thing um any thoughts on that i don't really know a ton about it personally so i figured i would uh, i would share oh, it gives me some warm fuzzies <laughs> <laughs> sorry i i like i said i have a friend that's up there and right. you know, she's delivers supplies or they deliver supplies when they can. Um, they have so much, you, know, you see on the media, oh, those people are going to starve. Oh, there's no, you know, food. They have such a surplus of food that they are donating it to local families. Yeah. And when they ran out of local families to donate to, they started driving up to a hundred miles outside of the zone to give to food banks. Yeah. Like anarchists know how to cook y'all. <laughs> Darn right we do. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You know how to stretch food too. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Yeah, go 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 to an anarchist book fair. Like like talk to uh, talk to the anarchists in your city. Guarantee you will ha- you will be in a food coma at some point that afternoon. It just—it's how it works. <laughs> I was saying I'm over here trying to discreetly eat fried green tomatoes right now. <laughs> oh, oh no! You you can't eat fried green tomatoes discreetly. <laughs> or or if you know tips on how to do that, um, please please drop it in the chat because I, I guarantee about half of the tomato gets yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, they'll definitely be evidence in my experience. Um, there we. Go. But no, yeah, the the more radical kind of moments around the country, like with um, Minneapolis uh, City Council voting to disband the police department and restructure it, like 
kind of incredible. Like, definitely something um, I would not have imagined weeks ago happening in this country. Um, yeah. Uh, but this, the kind of culmination of, of the austerity that's sort of been building over the last couple of decades, plus this pandemic that's proved our government is totally indifferent on like actually taking care of the people uh, in it, you know, um, have, have made what seemed like very radical things, <laughs> very, uh, very realistic seeming in, yeah. in contrast to, to, to no leadership on the other side beyond protecting, you know, corporate interest. Yeah. It's funny because like, this is a risky time in our history, but it's also the time where we kind of need to organize the hardest. And, and this is the time where like we could possibly see some gains uh, from that organizing yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see the um, people pushed so hard for statues to be taken down over the last couple of years, uh, just in reaction to these killings, but also a, a general like anti-racist sort of sentiment building. Right. But now that we're pushing for something uh, very, very serious and very structural, and not just symbolic, which is like defunding police and abolition of police, things like that. Um, uh, the powers that be all over the country are are suddenly very happy to uh, take down these Confederate monuments and flags <laughs> and things as a treat, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're just you know, once the demands got real, uh, they decided uh, they could. It was the least they could do right yeah uh, but it goes to show the power that's building behind those those ideas and movements and and yeah. what that people power uh, the kind of uh actual power that that those movements hold at this point is building as well yeah um do you mind shout outs on your show Folks? no go for it okay um again on switch is where i i do have a lot of conversations so there's something going on right now called rar w a or r a w r and oh, okay. it's okay. different casters are streaming live video from all the protests all over the country right now uh one of the guys that's heading it up uh pragmatic anarchist okay uh it's twitch.tv forward slash pragmatic anarchist mm -hmm. uh him and trek 69 are the main ones that i watch uh the other ones are after i have other things i have to do uh Lee, she is in minneapolis so she has a lot of videos live boots on the ground um she also does a lot of phenomenal work um, in education and politics and activism from a black female standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. 
she has links books and they just did a book club on white fragility. Okay. And, uh, touring news, uh, does from Philly. Let me just kind of make sure that I'm kind of following. Like, these are citizen journalists, basically, just kind of streaming on Twitch. They're like on the ground talking about um, uh, protest actions, or in some cases, they're like leading, um, you know, online discussion groups, presumably, where they're kind of chatting like this. And then they have like a chat window appearing in, on the sidebar somewhere, and they're just people like di- uh, dipping in and making comments and stuff. Um. Touring news primarily deals in economics and education and does a uh, newspaper stream every morning, reading the news of the day every day. Oh, okay. 8, 8, yeah. 30, cool. Yeah. Really cool. It's that's my normal morning coffee. Nice. Um, <laughs> he's yeah. also another DSA comrade. So, oh, yeah, we got to give him a shout out. Um, yeah, I think that's all really important. Um, especially as you know, we see like this sort of consolidation happening in, in mainstream media and, and they're all sort of seeing, um, these protests as basically like a bunch of, uh, punk kids looking for a reason to throw bricks through windows. Um, so these are, it's, it's important to like kind of seek out these resources, especially, um, resources that, uh, are, are from the experiences of and center the voices of, um, our, our African-American comrades. Um, this, this really needs to be like front and center right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great to see like Charles an activist network and Micah Gadsden uh, sort of simultaneously uh, bring some uh, Charleston history to the moment day by day with her live streams and um, shout other people out and kind of like help guide that support in the black community in Charleston yeah. through this. That'll be, podcast is it'll, be, it'll be really interesting. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, her podcast was back up too, which is which is really cool. It, it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks and months how how all these forces kind of combine um, yeah. to make pushes beyond just electoral kind of uh, uh, things people are doing locally. Um, I'm I'm trying to figure out right. I miss the uh, eco socialist uh, uh, meeting yesterday because i've been sick um not sure if you can still hear hopefully not i took some medicine before the fall um well corbin's about that every oh go ahead oh i was just saying um we were talking about gadsden creek and fresh future farms you know how valuable it would be to get a farmer's union out here yeah that's that's high on my list of priorities that's something you know yeah yeah because you gotta have food everybody needs food everybody needs good healthy food yep yep um yeah and i think um the pandemic has made that uh has has definitely put um uh food supply issues and 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 food security kind of front and center also we are gosh we have had one heck of a discussion tonight um so let's go ahead and and uh and bring this baby home what do you say uh let's talk about uh what types of activism uh, y'all have been involved in uh since the protests 
Um, uh, Corvus, you made a bunch of really cool recommendations on like some channels we might follow on Twitch. Uh, both of y'all talked about, uh, uh, Charleston activist network run by Mika Gadsden, who's, um, doing some really good work. Um, I, I think she spends more time in the library than any person I've ever met. <laughs> so that's really awesome to see, uh, the work she's putting out. Um, anything else that y'all might recommend, especially during this moment in time? Um, I've, uh, been recommended, uh, a couple of things. Um, so, uh, a comrade, uh, from the discord recommended, uh, our prisons obsolete by Angela Davis. Uh, so I'm definitely getting into that. Mm. And also, uh, the book, uh, beyond survival strategies and, and stories from the transformative justice movement. Um, Anything y'all wanted to pile onto the reading list? Um, if you're in yeah. Charleston, the uh, 2019 racial bias audit of the Charleston City Police is interesting. And also the budgets, reading the budgets of, of your city's uh, uh, allocations for uh, policing. Uh, an interesting thing I saw pointed out for uh, the Charleston Police Department was uh, they spent in 2020 uh, 1.6 million dollars leasing 48 vehicles, uh, which could buy a 30 33 thousand dollar vehicle. Could buy 48 33 thousand dollar vehicles. You're fucking leasing this stuff. What the fuck, guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's really, I that's that's the reading that I've. I've uh, found very interesting. Is yeah, we'll into definitely like, have to link it to that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I definitely need to investigate a little further into Goose Creek and Berkeley counties. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all these right dead hawks on blast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Right now, I am reading two different books. Stephanie Kelton's uh, newest book, which I've got on kindle but uh first uh melissa v harris perry sister citizen um it says a from a highly respected thinker on race gender and american politics a new consideration of black women and how distorted stereotypes affect their political beliefs it's a mixture of fiction and nonfiction, and breaking down you know the meaning behind the fictional works and what was going on in that era of these women authors lives and you know how it's still the system and racism to this day yeah persists it's it's a really great book yeah um so are these like kind of like short self-contained uh pieces um it's excerpts like from uh the Hurricane from When Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hairston. Okay. And then Breaking It Down. Okay, and, okay. And uh, the Yeah. Okay. Um, and I cannot say the name right. In Sarant Bookstore? Oh, um, I... It's a... It's literate. A, in, yes, that one. Yeah. I, I cannot say the word right. I've tried three times. They have a very expansive uh list at their store of books that they have for uh anti-racist education 
Oh, that's awesome. Right now. And, you know, they're, you get in contact with them, you get a 30 minute booking, you get to go books you want, get them out, or they do drive up service. You know, you can get you some good books. Nice. Sport Bezos. (laughs) Yeah. As, as kind of an aside, you know, always, always try your local bookstore first. Um, especially, uh, you know, especially black owned bookstores. There is a black owned bookstore in Goose Creek called Turning Page Bookshop. Um, black owned bookstore up in uh, Goose Creek. Uh, so just North of Charleston, um, definitely seems like a place that if you're looking to support, um, you know, if, if you're looking to, uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is and, and really put dollars into uh, black owned businesses here in the low country. That definitely seems like a good place to start also. Yeah. Uh, yeah I didn't realize they were open yet. I'll, I'll share the list of uh, black owned businesses in Charleston. I've found and people have made um, to put in the show notes because uh, I'm sure these are being created everywhere and we, uh, we can all, benefit from uh, contributing to those yeah and um you know everybody gets their content in a different way um you know i feel like i get most of mine through like just random stuff i pick up on on either interactions with folk like 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 face to face back when i could do that mm-hmm. <laughs> and um you know things like listening to podcasts and stuff like that so everybody kind of gets them all from from different places um, we are at the last question of the night, so I'm going to drop the big heavy hitter on you. Um, and, and we'll kind of meditate on that, um, afterwards. Um, where do we go from here? Um, what are our final thoughts are, um, is there, is this the beginning of a sea change here in the low country? Is this, uh, flash in the pan sort of moment for Charleston. Um, and how do the, how does the, uh, how did the Charleston protests, um, connect to the local or I'm sorry, the, the national protests happening? I think, uh, it shows the amount of energy and, uh, interest in demanding real change from, uh, a left perspective, but also just generally a human rights perspective, uh, as far as it relates to like police brutality against black people and systemic issues tied to that racism, be it healthcare or food access, um, things like that. Um, so hopefully, uh, we can all kind of collect our efforts and, and carry that momentum into, uh, goal oriented, uh, direct action in the future. I, I, I see that happening based on how passionate, you know, hundreds of young people, young, old, and in between people have been over the last two weeks in Charleston. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm optimistic. Cool. To, uh, to, uh, to weave a metaphor of sorts, you know, using a local uh, talent yeah weaving this especially here in charleston 
the systemic racism has been woven tightly into every aspect of everyday life. And we have to sit down as a whole, as an entire community, and pick those threads apart. And we have to weave something better and beautiful and able to support everyone and not just the tourism industry and not just the elites that own, you know, seafront property. We need so much and it seems so overwhelming if you look at the whole that you have, you know, we have to, you know, sit down and figure out where do we begin and not just stop at one thing because it's not just one thing. Right. Yeah. Support those leaders that we have. Yeah. Making the changes. Corvus, you got me, you got me getting misty eyed over here. <laughs> oh, dang. Well, guys, I just, um, I just want better for these. Kids. Yeah. Same. Um, I think that's a good note to end it on. Um, I, I honestly, I'm still wrestling with a lot. Um, I don't really know what happens next. Um, all I know is for me personally, I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to keep this mic open for anybody smarter than me who wants to get on and talk about it. There's plenty of them. (laughs) Um, so if, if I do my part, to get this thing, to, to keep this thing going, um, no matter how small that part is, uh, then I will have done my job and yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I hope that I'd like to uh, see some of the mayors. I'm sorry. The, the local mayors. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just saying, I'd like to see some of the mayors and the city council members that are supposed to be serving the community. Talk to you talk to somebody with a podcast, somebody with a voice out here independently. That's not gonna, you know, set them a tea service that can ask the real questions, right. the honest questions, and get some honest answers. Would love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, um, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, take care of yourselves take care of each other and uh would love to have you all on a um a future episode i will set an alarm next time so i am not late oh oh oh, yeah dude it's it's all good um i i got the show prep notes uh uh to cam like 30 minutes before we started talking so we're all doing our best right (laughs) yeah no worries but it's been great and appreciate your work here all right gang Solidarity forever. Y'all have a good night. You too. You too. Solidarity, man. All right. Thank you. Later on, y'all. Stand up, all victims of oppression. For the tyrants, be your might. Don't cling so hard to your possessions. For you have nothing if you have no Freedom is me.